Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And of course, I'm seated next to Tom Dorian. Of course. I'm always seated next to Tom Dorian. You are. And that's why I don't get as much to eat at the Catholic Cafe. <laughs> yeah, Tom is always a, eating my French fries. It's a fight. It's a fight. The food <laughs> is good. The and food is good. You're winning. And I am bigger. <laughs> uh, we have a great topic today. We always have a great topic. But today's topic is wonderful because I think there's a, um, a great misunderstanding out there that, that suffering is bad or it, that there's no purpose in our suffering. In fact, it might be the, the, the converse you hear all the time is that if you do well, God will reward you, and you'll, that there's a sort of this health and wealth gospel out there that right. the people that are holiest are the ones that are happiest and the ones that are uh, you know, rewarded the most in their, in their health and their well-being. Right. So we're going to kind of talk a little bit about this Catholic understanding of, of a, a phrase called redemptive suffering. It, it is a difficult topic to get your head around. Sometimes it is, and so we have a wonderful guest. We are welcoming Father Brian Timby. Here. Thank you, Jeff. He's a priest for the Diocese of Memphis, and welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, Father. Thank you very much. Well, let's let's go right to the heart of the matter. Let's talk about this concept of redemptive suffering. Why do we put the word redemptive in front of the word suffering? Well, we, we talk about redemptive suffering because it was through suffering that we were redeemed. And when we join our own suffering to that of Christ on the cross... We share in his suffering and in the act of salvation. And so many people forget this. They want to run away from the pain. And we see that oftentimes depicted in corpusless crosses that are hung. You know, they, they want to remember the resurrection, but they want to forget what happened in order for the resurrection to happen. Well, I, I heard a well-meaning person say to me one time, you know, we're a resurrection people. We're not a, a dour and a sad people. At the same time, the Holy Father loves to see a, a corpus, loves to see a body on that cross so that we're reminded every day what God did for us, what he went through for us. So many people don't see joy in suffering. And a true Christian will enter into every type of suffering joyfully because it brings it closer to the very act of salvation of Jesus. And there are people out there that put their whole health you know, at the hands of, of Christ because they are suffering. I, I think of St. Teresa of Lisieux and her long suffering and how she accepted that joyfully because she couldn't do great things in this life. She accepted the pain of the suffering so that she could be united with Christ and share the benefits with those she was praying for. And she died at a young age, very young age, of uh, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, yeah. yeah, that's right. So it was a yeah. tragic death, and, and everyone would look at that and say, well, what a tragedy. Mm -hmm. But I think that, as we see in her writings, she didn't view it as tragic. No, she saw it as a blessing. And I often, I often call, counsel people that, especially you know, people my age, 50, 60, are taking care of elderly parents, and they complain about their parents and the state of health or their lack of memory or their you know losing patience with their parents on a regular basis and i remind them that remember that they're sick not for their own good but for yours hmm. you know they're sick so you can become a saint in the way you minister as christ to them 
in their advanced age. They benefit too from suffering in union with Christ, but you have to put yourself in the position of understanding that you are ministering to the sick, and that's part of redemption too. Hmm. Yeah, and you know what? We're, we so often forget that we're all members of the body of Christ, and that when one suffers, we all suffer together, and when one rejoices, we all rejoice together. St. Paul tells us that. And so we're all intrinsically linked uh, in, in that way, especially through the Eucharist and through uh, Christ's suffering. We're all linked together, and we're all members of that body of Christ. And, you know, mourning in, in the Beatitudes is all about that. Is mourning is just not about someone who has died. It's about the state of the health of the world. Uh, conditions of the poor in Africa or of those suffering from AIDS in our own country or around the world, that when we understand that, we share in their suffering when we pray for them and when we reach out to them to minister to them. And that's another way that we participate in the redemption of Christ. So let's go back to that very first, one of the first statements I was uh, talking to Tom about in terms of suffering. Do we, how do we view this as Catholics? Do we look at it like, well, God wants us to suffer? Well, you know, God never points at somebody and says, I want Sally over there to suffer, or I want Tom across the street to get cancer, or I want this young family's father and husband to get killed in a car accident. That's not the way God works. But he lets things happen. He lets nature unfold in a way that we can be surprised. And I don't want to call it a test as such a faith, but it's a way that we react You know, where's the depth of faith, and how do we get through it day after day after day? Well, you know, St. Peter tells us in in his letter in 1 Peter uh, in chapter 1, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this, this, uh, the suffering, really, it really perfects us. It does. It's like cold being tested in fire. You know, of course, uh, St. Peter was addressing you know, people who might have been facing martyrdom at the hands of people who persecuted the early Christians you know, and preparing them for the, the act of giving themselves joyfully to the Lord, regardless of how that's going to happen. I've got a question for you, Father. You know, logically what you're saying makes sense. But when someone is experiencing that, it's got to be very difficult for them to, to grasp or, or get a handle on. Is it? Is that? Does that make sense? Is that yes, question? you know, the question makes sense. And it is, you know, for a lot of people very difficult. Uh, you know, Alan Jackson has a song out right now that's very popular called uh, Sissy's Song. It's about his housekeeper that got killed in a car accident and mm-hmm. left a young family behind. And the second verse of that song says, you know, a loving family, father and, and children cry out to God in anger, but then turn around and ask for God's love. And isn't that the way we do sometimes? We're, yeah. we're fickle. We cry out in anger. Why me? Why me? But I think the question for a Christian is not why me, but why not me? Because if Christ did this for me, why should I not be expected to suffer in union with him you know, uh, you know, St. Paul talks about the sufferings of Christ, you know, being inadequate, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, that he's, his own suffering fulfills mm-hmm. what was lacking in Christ. And that's what every Christian is supposed to do. That's true. Now, in fact, there's other great scriptures that I wanted to bring up, a few of them, that, re- that almost sound like suffering is required. If, if, if we're going to be a true Christian, you're required in a, in a sense. And maybe not necessarily suffering, but in terms of trials, in terms of challenges... 
listen to some of these in uh, Matthew chapter 10. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In Luke chapter 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, St. Paul told the Colossians in chapter 1, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That's what you were just referring to a second ago. What, what is this concept, this idea of taking up your cross? What does that mean? Taking up our cross and following Christ is taking up life as it is dealt to us in whatever circumstances, whatever accidents happen in our lives, to pick it up, to keep our eyes focused on Christ, and to carry with, with whatever is in our life with us to the glory that Christ promises. He never promised us a rose garden, regardless of what the song says. <laughs> uh, he, never, he never promised us just joy. And the very fact that he told us, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, that's pretty plain. Yeah. yeah, and he's probably speaking to people who were not willing to take up a cross. It's true, true. When we talk about uh, suffering and, and maybe bringing something into your life that you didn't ask for, uh, think of Simon and Cyrene, you know, who just was standing there. If you saw The Passion of the Christ, that wonderful movie, you saw a man depicted there who was going about his daily routine when all of a sudden he was forced to carry the cross of Christ. You know, and at the end of that journey with Christ, you could see that there was a connection. Hmm. You know, well, I can say that in my own life, too. You know, that uh, five years ago to be diagnosed with cancer of the vocal cords. And I'm an Irishman who's cut the, kissed the Barney Stone five times. I love to talk. <laughs> but I just can't do it all the time anymore. And, you know, it, it's a burden when you're trying to preach, celebrate Mass. You wake up in the morning, you can't talk, you know, things like that. You accept it and you go on and you do it joyfully. You know, it's, this is something God has let happen to me. He didn't give it to me, but he let it happen to me. And I've got to find the good in it and, and to move on, you know. Is it difficult to find the good in these things, though? Is that, is that the challenge, maybe? I think that's the challenge. But I think that a person of faith always sees the good because they're focused not on the present. They're focused on the future. And, you know, but, Father, so many of us, I know there are folks listening right now saying, I'm suffering this trial right now. I'm not focused on the future. I want to get this monkey off my back right now. You know, that's the, that's the I guess, like I said, that's the challenge, just to be able to look down the road and realize. And then like Peter was telling us, you know, to be that fire-tried gold, to visualize yourself as being that gold. Well, of, co- of course we want to get the monkey off our back. <laughs> but television has trained us to do that or radio, or advertising of all kinds. Because every time we don't feel good now, we're told to pop a pill. You know, that it's not right to suffer. That, you know, there was, there's no good that can come from suffering. That a headache, you know, is not to be an inconvenience in your life. Or a backache, or whatever. We live in a soundbite and a feel-good culture, don't That's we? That's right. You know, do Quick what fix. you can right now to fix yourself and to go on because this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Where, in fact, it is the way it's supposed to be. We have so much more to talk about in redemptive suffering in this Catholic teaching. But before we do that, I do want to remind folks at home that we have a wonderful website to visit, www.thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find a wealth of wonderful resources there. You'll find some links to some uh, great websites out there that uh, talk about the Catholic faith. 
You'll also find this particular show. You can listen to it again, or you can also hear all the shows that we've recorded. Uh, they're there on that website for you, and you can sign up for podcasting as well. Those have been very popular. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so, if you will uh, come back, I promise you won't suffer for the last half of the show. I'm Bess Drzymski. And this is another great moment in church history. How can someone so small and weak in the eyes of the world have such a tremendous impact on the spiritual lives of millions around the globe? St. Therese of Lisieux, better known as the Little Flower, was this small person. Born in France over a century ago, she has changed the spiritual landscape of the entire world. St. Therese believed that little things done with great love were more pleasing to God than the mightiest deeds. She wrote, Love proves itself by deeds, so how am I to show my love? Great deeds are forbidden me. The only way I can prove my love is by scattering little flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and the doing of the least action for love. The little flower grew up as the youngest of five living children. She was a sensitive child who felt things deeply. These deep feelings and her thoughtful attitude led her to a strong prayer life at a very young age. By her own account, she would find a quiet place and spend hours contemplating the love of the Heavenly Father. As Therese entered her teen years, her older sisters began to go into religious life. This led the little flower to seek entrance to the Carmelite Monastery at the tender age of 14. She was initially refused by the superiors of the order, but her persistence paid off by taking her appeal all the way to the Pope in Rome. The superiors of the order were impressed by her persistence and maturity and allowed her to enter the Carmelite order at the age of 15. The next nine years were spent in quiet contemplation and service inside the tiny convent in Lisieux. Toward the end of her time in the convent, she began to suffer from the effects of tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, a deadly infectious disease that attacks the lungs, leaves the sufferer with a chronic cough, fever, night sweats, and weight loss. St. Therese suffered seriously from this disease. She was reported to have said, I have reached the point of not being able to suffer anymore because all suffering is sweet to me. She accepted her affliction as a gift from God and saw it as a sign of his friendship with her. Little everyday things done in great love can lead us to a life of grace and deeper union with Christ. The little flower can show us the way. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the Catholic Cafe, sitting in the luxurious corner booth. And we have Father Brian Timby here. Father Tempe, um, so we're going to continue on with our conversation about redemptive suffering. And I wonder if maybe this would be an opportunity for you to share with us a little bit more about, I know, you know having been at your parish, spent many years with you, inspired by you, I know you're a man that loves to preach, 
You love to sing. And now you've been faced in the last several years with throat cancer. And I know that a lot of people would look at that and they'd take that as a blow, like God hit them right between the eyes with something. And so I'm just, how do you process that? What were your feelings when, you, when that first came about? And then how do you deal with that on a daily basis? Well, Deacon Jeff, when, it, when all the symptoms started creeping in and I'd be preaching and all of a sudden I'd have coughing attacks and lose my voice in the middle of I remember of those. I remember, remember those? it would yeah. be a, a, a great homily and all of a sudden you would have to stop yeah. and cough for 30 seconds or It always seemed to happen on Christmas and Easter too. So. Yeah. <laughs> but when those symptoms started, nobody could find out what was wrong. Yeah, I went to all the laryngologists here in Memphis, and I went to some down at uh, MD Anderson in Houston. Finally hooked up with a doctor at Vanderbilt, and I remember going up for my first examination, and he told me, well, there's a growth on your vocal cord, the underside of your vocal cord, and we're going to schedule a biopsy, and you come up the night before. And So all the way back to Memphis, I kept, I prayed. I said, Lord, let it be cancer, because at least I'll know. You know, I don't want any more question marks. I don't want any more, you know, doctors saying, I don't know what it is. You know, we can scrape it off, but I don't know what it is. And I said, I just want an answer. So you wanted a known quantity. You, I, wanted, you wanted answers. And even if that answer was a bad answer. That's what I wanted. You know, I just want to know, because then you know how to deal with things. And so we had the biopsy, and it turned out to be cancer. And he took a major portion of my vocal cord and sent me off to uh, recuperate. You know, and that, that was very difficult because I couldn't talk, not say a syllable, for six weeks. Mm. The, the the good thing about it was we had parishioners that had a condo down in Destin, and I got to stay there for six weeks. Well. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, facing it is not difficult, you know, when you know what it is. You, and and you, I do know that this is not terminal cancer, and that's a good thing. It's localized. It will not spread to other organs right. and things like well, that. Well, that's a blessing. That's, and that's a blessing itself. But you know, when I have to go every year and have a little bit more of the vocal cord cut out. Eventually, there'll be nothing left. And that's kind of a daunting you know, scenario for someone who likes to talk and preach. And, so, it is, and uh, so it is spreading on that vocal? It doesn't spread. It just keeps coming back. The root is either they huh. can take out my larynx totally right now, or they can take out a little of time as it resurfaces. And I opted for that because wow. not having a larynx is, you know, pretty difficult as a yeah. parish priest anyway. That's right. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's something I, you know, anticipate every year. Usually about the first week of June, I know that it's scheduled and I have to go up to Nashville and have a little surgery on my throat and spend some time with my sister recuperating. Do you think that this occurrence in your life, has it, uh, well, you know, a lot of times it's easy for someone to offer advice, someone to give great spiritual advice, you know. And I think that a lot of people will say, well, you've not been through this. How do you how do you know? I guess what I'm saying is, has this really given you uh, any more insight in terms of offering that consolation to others who are suffering, to others who are going through uh, difficult times? I don't think it's given me more insight, so to speak, because I think I've been pretty empathetic with people in, in their suffering, their physical sufferings. The very first person I ever knew that died, died of breast cancer when I was in seventh grade. And it was a mother of some friends of ours. And so I've always been tuned into that suffering aspect. And I knew my mother took Barbara to the, for her chemotherapy at Ohio State you know, every week and you know, doing that stuff. So I was always in with that and very you know, touched by people who could suffer. And ministering to them through the years, I found that I always received more from visiting those who are suffering, particularly the terminally ill, than I was able to take. 
You know, I could be present and I could talk, but I couldn't give them the advice like you said. I still don't think I can give a person with breast cancer, a woman with breast cancer, you know, advice. You know, I, I can't give someone with brain cancer advice about that, you know, and they're losing their memory, whatever. But, you know, the funny thing is, or ironic thing, I guess, is since I've been diagnosed with, you know, this uh, cancer of the vocal cord, I've buried seven people with throat cancer that sought me out here in Memphis. Did they feel a connection? There? Yeah, well, it's, they heard from somebody that Father Timby, you know, has throat cancer, go see him, you know. And so, you know, I, I, I help them through the not talking part, and I hear confessions by, you know, writing, they can write it out since they're not allowed to talk. And So even there, God's using you. Yeah, using me to, to minister to them. And then when their families find out at funerals that I, too, have the cancer, uh, that, you know, they're always moved by that. Well, that's beautiful that, that, that God would use you in that way mm-hmm. and that you'd be open to that. Mm-hmm. I know your calling as a priest, you're already his instrument. I mean, you're already uh, functioning in persona Christi. You're already Christ uh, to your flock, which is, which is a beautiful thing. But in this special way, there are other people that can be touched in a, in a different way that maybe you might not have thought was even possible before. And, uh, another thing, this may be a little humorous, but uh, there's a doctor at Holy Rosary who, after my first surgery swears that improved my singing voice. He, <laughs> he said you could never sing before as much as you loved it, but now at least you hit the notes. So. Well, everything works together for the That's good. That's right, for the glory of God, for the glory of God. Well, wonderful. Now, I know we've been focusing a lot on that sort of physical suffering, the pain and suffering that we're all so familiar with, that we all have family members who have suffered and friends who have died, etc. But there are other kinds of suffering, aren't there? There's a lot of suffering emotionally in, in, in the societies today. We have uh, married couples who are suffering terribly, you know, because of cracks in their marriage. Uh, we have parents who feel like their lives are being torn apart by children who are addicted to drugs or have run away from home. Uh, we have people who are dealing with children that are in prison, you know, and all this is, is illness. And, you know, this too is suffering that can be united to Christ. And, you know, he was imprisoned. You know, just not the crucifixion. He was imprisoned. He was, you know, scourged. He was interrogated. Uh, There's all that aspect that that ties into it. And people can find solace, you know, just by being in the presence of Christ because he went through it just as they've gone through it. And, you know, you were mentioning earlier that that we've we've become this... um, uh, this culture addicted to television and magazines and quick fixes and and we talked about soundbite culture etc. You're not going to find the kind of solace and comfort and mercy and forgiveness and love in that worldly environment, are you? It's not going to be there. It's not going to be there at all. The place you find it is in front of the tabernacle. And I don't care whether you're an ordained priest or a layperson. You've got to be in the presence of Christ. And we can talk about just being in prayer all we want at home. But the comfort isn't the same as when you're in front of the body and blood of Christ who suffered and died and rose again for us. We wouldn't have had that body and blood of Christ had it not been for Christ's suffering. That's right. And that's where it's all united. And that's where we're all called, as St. Paul said, to rejoice in our sufferings. And to rejoice always. Not just in our sufferings, but to rejoice always. And let the sufferings be behind you when you're rejoicing. Wonderful. Now, I know that there's some folks listening right now. Um, I get emails all the time from people who are going through really, really tough times right now for whatever reason. 
Uh, just got an email from a man who lost his son tragically a year ago. And it's hard to sort of make sense of all that. And maybe we don't have to make sense of it now. Is it a process that that will go on for a long period of time? Do you get over the suffering? Or does it become part of you? Do we learn from suffering? How does that work? I think it becomes part of us. That as we acknowledge it and accept it, if we stay in contact with Christ, with excuse me, with Christ, and remain with Him in prayer, and are faithful to going to church, to Mass, receiving communion, that it gradually becomes just a part of our lives. And it's not something we dwell on so much as it is that we're able to live with it as a brother or a sister. And that way we're able to even engage it in conversation. You know, and I talk to my throat a lot. <laughs> Especially middle of the night when I'm having coughing fits or whatever, you know. Right. But uh, it's the perseverance that counts. And that's what gets us through. It's, it's not going to go away magically. You know, we can pray for miracles. Miracles are few and far between. And I pray for miracles all the time. But I'm realistic to realize that this is what God gave me today, and this is the only day that God gave me, and I don't want to die on this day if it's the only one I have and go to heaven mad. Right. You know, this is the way we have to be. And I think that's the advice I'd give to people is persevere in your faithfulness to the church, which is Christ's presence in the world, and make yourself a real member of the body of Christ by interacting with it. Well, for those suffering, do you, do you recommend the... Uh, uh, seek out others to be in groups of people that are going through the same types of things? Or do you think that maybe it's just a prayer and solitude? What are the, what are the different ways that you, you, you will deal with, with that kind of event in your life? Some people like to do that. There are others that don't. There, there, there are those who want to be alone in their suffering. They don't want to be a part of a group. But if you find comfort in talking with people with the same problem, you know, I would certainly encourage it. And your doctor, you know, if it's physical... Or if you're your counselor, if it's emotional, they can help you find that group. Uh, but only go as far as you feel comfortable. But your biggest companion, again, is Christ and the saints that have suffered before you. And those are the ones that can get you through it. And that's truly redemptive suffering That's at that redemptive point. suffering because it's united with Christ and all those saints who suffered in their own way, you know, through the years. And our goal is to get to heaven to live with God in eternity. Forever. That's right. And that's the and that's the redemptive part of this. And every tear will be wiped away and every wound will be healed. So Well praise God and amen. Yeah. We're all looking forward to that that's day. Right. I and am. I hope to see you there. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> very good, very good. Father Timmy, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your story, but also helping us to understand a little bit more about the Catholic teaching on redemptive suffering. Thank you very much, Dean and Jeff. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. Very Appreciate good. It. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, you sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die for our sins, in order that we might be reconciled to you. Give us the strength and courage to take all grief and suffering we encounter in our daily lives, and offer it up to you in union with the suffering of your Son. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.